2: from the mountains to the
1: plains, from the desert to the sea, from fresh water to salt water. Yaman, welcome to TV Radio. I'm Bertrand Tungandame. Coming up in your program this Monday, January 15, we have the story of Ben Stewart, a proud BRP man from Darii exploring his efforts to revitalize the Gathang language spoken by the Biripi and Waramaya peoples on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Also in the program today, we revisit a conversation with lawyer Matthew Karakulakis, founder of AMK Law, a 100% Aboriginal-owned legal firm our conversation, we learn more about Matthew's new podcast series, Rolling Through Negotiations, a series that seeks to demystify legal concepts of negotiations. Also in the program today, we share a story from SBS's newsroom about the rise of new electronic tools that help monitor and manage diabetes. All these stories and more coming to you on ITV radio after the latest news. In this bulletin, Foreign Minister Penny Wong says her Israel visit will not include Israeli towns attacked by Hamas. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese confirms the Stage 3 tax cuts will go ahead. And in sport, Alex De Mino gets ready to play Miros Ronich in his first match of the Australian Open. Penny Wong will not visit Israeli towns where the Hamas attacks took place when she visits the Middle East in a bit to help put an end to the conflict in Gaza. Senator Wong will meet with the Israeli families of hostages and survivors of Hamas' October 7 attacks as well as Palestinians impacted by Israeli settler violence in the West Bank. The foreign minister leaves today to travel to Israel, Jordan, the occupied Palestinian territories, as well as the United Arab Emirates over the week in the most senior visit by an Australian politician since the attacks. Speaking in Adelaide, before her departure, the foreign minister deflected a question about why she was not visiting the sites of Hamas attacks, as other leaders have done. Senator Wong says she will balance Australia as a new, an unique an equivocal condemnation of Hamas attacks with calls for Israel to respect international law amid high numbers of civilian deaths in Gaza.
4: So many Australians with different perspectives are deeply worried about it.
2: What I would say to Australians is uh, we are not a, a central player in this but we have a respected voice uh, and we will be using it to advocate uh, ultimately uh, the pathway out of the conflict is something that must be found by the parties to that conflict. I'm happy to take questions. Minister
1: Prime Minister Antoine Albanese says high-income Australians will still receive tax cuts even as the government remains committed to managing inequality. The Prime Minister has reaffirmed the controversial Stage 3 tax cuts under which high-income earners are said to receive the highest gains will come into effect from July 1. The package, a policy of the former coalition government, will abolish 32.5% and 37% tax brackets and bring in a single 30% bracket for incomes between $45,000 and $200,000. National's MP Barnaby Joyce earlier told Channel 7 Sunrise the Albanese government should not alter a policy it did not mention in its 2022 election campaign.
3: The Stage 3 tax cuts is about giving some of your money back to you. It's very easy to get a surplus when I just use the money out of your skyrocket and put it into the government's treasury treasury bucket. And we've got to start giving this money
1: back. Prime Minister Albanese has told ABC tax cuts had been factored into policy on inflation and that Labor will continue to look at measures to help Aussies doing it tough in the lead up to the federal budget. We think that
3: in terms of uh, income tax relief, Uh, That is one way that can assist people uh, because it does mean uh, extra dollars in people's pockets.
1: Australians have woken up to the news. Hobart-born Mary Donaldson is now Queen Mary of Denmark after her husband, Crown Prince Frederick, succeeded as King Frederick X. Tens of thousands of people gathered in Copenhagen in three degrees Celsius temperatures to see the hugely popular royal couple as church bells rang out across the capital to celebrate the new monarchs. King Frederick and Queen Mary were each cheered by the crowd, with the new king seen to wipe a tear from his eye. Around Australia, several events were held for the succession on Sunday, including one at Sydney's sleep where the pair first met during the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. Speaking on Channel 7's Sunrise this morning, Nationals MP Barnaby Joyce took the opportunity to give a history lesson about the event's significance for Australia.
4: Uh,
3: 1901, Australia had a Danish queen, Queen Alexandra, who was married to Edward the Seventh, and went from 1901 to I think 1910. So now Dan- Denmark has an Australian queen with Queen Mary, and I think uh, we like the hundred thousand people who uh, flocked to see um, flocked to see Frederick and Mary go to the balcony. we you know it's it's great, and it shows uh, as one of my
1: staff was saying to me the egalitarian nature of Australia. Participants in talks on efforts to end the war between Ukraine and Russia say China needs to be involved to prepare the ground for a peace agreement. A fourth meeting of National Security Advisors on Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's peace plan has been held in Davos ahead of the start of the World Economic Forum's annual meeting on Tuesday, January 16. Mr. Zelensky has presented a 10-point peace formula, including the expulsion of Russian forces from Ukrainian territory and a for war crimes are made a stalemate along a front line stretching roughly 1,500 five hundred kilometres. Both Russia and Ukraine have been unwilling to make concessions amid eroding support for Kiev in the West and destruction from the conflict in the Middle East. Andrei Yermak, the Ukrainian president's chief of staff, celebrated the growing number of nations supporting the plans but said he was disappointed China was not in attendance. Unfortunately, in Malta and today here, where is not the representative of China, we invited, we will continue to invite, for us important <laughs> table, and we're looking that in the future China will be participated. An out-of-control bushfire is threatening homes and lives north of Perth, with residents told to act immediately to survive. An emergency warning was issued early this morning for areas around Gingin, 60 kilometres north of the city. Almost 150 firefighters and support crew are reported to be struggling to contain and control the fire, which is moving in multiple directions and has already burnt around 2,600 hectares. Residents have been told to leave immediately if the way is clear. The blaze which broke out on Saturday near the entrance to Royal Australian Air Force Base Kingin is one of four significant fires burning in the Wanneroo and Chittering areas, with the Bureau of Meteorology expecting severe heat wave conditions to persist into the coming week. Northern Australians are again being wont to brace for storms as the tropical low and monsoon conditions are expected to bring large volumes of rainfall. The Bureau of Meteorology has said some areas south of Darwin could experience up to 500 millimetres of rain by Wednesday, January 17, with widespread totals elsewhere well in the region totalling 200 to 300 millimetres. Senior meteorologist Angus Hines said the combination of a low pressure of Darwin's coast as well as predicted thunderstorms could lead to damaging winds in excess of 90 kilometres per hour today. Residents in far north Queensland who are still recovering from heavy rainfall and flash flooding in December, caught by Cyclone Jasper, face a further 100 to 200 millimetres of rain and frequent widespread thunderstorms this week. The mayor of Douglas Shire, Michael Carr, has told Channel 9's Today programme there's an urgent need for more rescue crews on the ground. I don't think people truly get an understanding of how isolated these areas are. You're getting a lot of decisions being made out of Brisbane officers rather than people on the ground up there that can see these communities, there's big distances between them, there's a lot of isolation, there's a lot of nothing in between. And to sport in tennis, Alex De Mino is preparing for, is preparing for a growing physical battle against Milos Raonic in his first round match on the second day of the Australian Open. Australia's world number 10 faces off against the unseeded Canadian at Rod Laver Arena this evening at 7pm. As well as Big Home Hope is riding high off the back of a strong performance at the United Cup, including a defeat of world number one Novak Djokovic, who won his first round match against Croatian Dino Prismic. But despite being sidelined for almost two years with a series of injuries, Ronic retains a supersonic serve that could easily snatch the match away from Demino. And having a look at the weather around the country, Bromow, windy, 33 degrees, Perth, sunny, 37, Adelaide, also sunny, 34, Melbourne, partly cloudy, 28, Hobart, cloud clearing, clouds clearing, 23 degrees, Abri-Wodonga, mostly sunny, 28, Canberra, showers, 20, Wollongong, also showers, and a top of 22, Sydney, much the same, 24, Newcastle, similar conditions, 24, Brisbane, showers, and 30 degrees, Townsville, light rain, 29, Cairns was 30, early springs partly sunny, 39 degrees Darwin heavy rainfalls in the top of 29 and the Torres Strait Islands scattered thunderstorms in the top of 30 degrees and that is NITV Radio News
5: NITV Radio Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime
1: online. Coming up next, well, we'll revisit a conversation with Matthew Karakilakis, founder of AMK Law, a 100% Aboriginal legal firm. We caught up with uh, Matthew late last year as he was launching his new podcast series, Rolling Through Negotiations, a series, as you'll hear, that seeks to demystify and tackle concepts of negotiations. Also in the program today, we share a story from ESBS's newsroom, exploring the rise of new electronic tools that help monitor and manage diabetes. But first, a story from the Conversation on Country podcast series. It's the story of Ben Stewart, a proud Birepi man from Tari, and his efforts to revitalize the Katang language of the BRP and Waramai peoples on the mid-north coast of New South Wales.
5: Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio.
4: Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are warned that the following recordings may contain the sounds and voices of deceased persons. Conversations on Country is a series of diverse stories of place and being of Goombanga, Dungari, Biripai and Wurramee Nations.
2: Goodjigo, Nata Ben Stewart, Nata Jirangdamba Birupa Guri, Nata Jirangdamba, Matamaguri, Yi Birupa Badae, Yi Badababara, Y Nirumba Bada, Nata Juiling Gatang, Gata Burugi Nirun Marungbu. How are you all? My name is Ben Stewart. I'm also known as uh Ben Saunders. I've been raised as a Saunders, but my name is Ben Stewart. Um this is Birupa country we're on. I'm speaking Gatang language to you, the language that belongs to the Birapa, Watama and Gurunga people. Let's all swim like sharks on Britapai country. The shark is the totem of the Britapai people. Marangbu, thank you. I, I'm actually employed as a, as a teacher at Tari High School. Um, my, my role is the head teacher of Aboriginal education. Um, our dictionary was actually released in 2010, um, but prior to that, there was a lot of community work that went involved, and there was a lot of, um, a lot of our... Co- a lot of our community members um, worked in consultation with Mortabai, the, um, the Aboriginal language group up at Nambaka. and they've been they've been a fantastic support for um, Gatang countries. Before the um, dictionary was actually released, I had um, a draft copy of heaps of different language resources that was given to me by Ani Pam Saunders, who's recently just passed. Um, and Ani Pam was a beautiful, amazing woman, um, and she gave my cousin Jay, who was just just passed as well Um, who was an absolutely amazing man and um, he was like my brother Jay was and um, we had this list of words basically and Jay and I have worked together and for the past probably 15 years we've basically been inseparable but Jay and I when we had just this draft list of words we um, started speaking language and this was this is probably 15 years ago now. Looking back now, a lot of the stuff we actually got wrong back then because we didn't know better. But uh, through using it and through learning it, we've actually um, we've we've learnt from our mistakes um, in regard to what we we're what we we're speaking, and we've um, we've gotten a lot more comfortable with it. I guess the the passion that I have in speaking Katang is because I feel like I'm connecting with my culture and connecting with my country. So there's there's so much so much cultural knowledge to learn through learning language. It's it's something bigger than me and. It's bigger than any person, it's. Um, we speak with our ancestors when we speak language. There's a sense of healing when you um, speak language, and when you start learning your own language your native tongue, it's like you have a key that unlocks this part of you that you knew was there, but you just could, you couldn't connect with. As an Aboriginal person, the language doesn't belong to us; it belongs to country. We've got a responsibility; we're the custodians of it, and we've got to care for it. I was always raised to forget the us and them thing, so it's not. It's not a thing. To um, divide non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal people, but I think through teaching a certain degree of language, it's bringing us together. It doesn't matter if you're Aboriginal or if you're not Aboriginal. If you're, if this is your home, you have you have some form of connection with the language because the language belongs to the country. So, through learning language, you're learning about your own country. There's different levels of language that you teach to community or you teach to everyone because um, with Aboriginal knowledge, there's certain knowledge. It's not for everyone. There's certain knowledge that is just for for Aboriginal community and. Those sensitivities need to be, you, we need to be aware of those. So it's very important the people that are teaching the language as well. It's, it's not just um, anyone that can learn the language can go out and just teach it because the last thing that we need to see is our language and culture being exploited. So those, those sensitivities are very important. A lot of our places in around community are named in Gatang. And that's something that, um, we don't even realize. So people that have never spoken Katang before, chances are they have actually spoken Katang before. So, um, growing up as a little kid, I didn't, didn't know a lot of, didn't know a lot of that. I'd, I'd always been told that Tung curry means plenty of fish. And when you actually, through learning language, it's, you'll find that it actually means, um, having plenty of skin. And it was referring to the silver skin flickering in the water, which would translate as plenty of fish. But, um, so when you, when you learn the, through learning, um, Learning the language, you, you soon realise how how much language is actually around us and we weren't even aware of it. I know here in Tari, we had, had a, what's known as Perfleet now, was, in 1900, that was established at Sunrise Station, which was a Aboriginal reserve, which was very, very controlling. Um, you, the punishments were severe if you were to speak language. You were completely, um, the right to speak, the, the, our language was never lost. The right to speak, it was taken away. And if you take the right away to speak the language, that means that if there's no one allowed to speak it, that a language can get lost. And, um, we like to refer to it as sleeping, not lost. But, um, our language, um, suffered, suffered from that a lot. And we're, we're very fortunate that we, um, had various resources. There was a elder by the name of Uncle Eddie Lobbin who, um, was recorded by a linguist by the name of Nils Holmer. And as a result of those recordings, we've been able to gain a lot of our language back and that's how dictio—that's how the uh, majority of our dictionary was constructed through those recordings and some other resources. Gatang belongs to three different communities. We've got Birtupai, Wadamai and Gurungai. And at first, Tari was the hub where the language centre, Murabai up at Nambaka, they would come down to support the three communities. There was a variety of people from those three communities that came to Tari to learn the language in the, in the early stages. And Tari was the hub. Now it's, it has changed, um, where there's people that are competent in all three, um, nations now that speak Gatang. So there's little, there's each community has their own little language groups that have started up to support the language and support how it's to be facilitated in, in each community. I've been, um, lucky to be supported by many community members, um, Uncle Russell Saunders has been a mentor for me, and he's been absolutely amazing. And he's um he's helped me teach teach language. He loves being in my language classes, whether it's at the school level or to community. And he inv- he just jumps in and shares shares what knowledge he thinks is appropriate to support what I'm teaching. Now, Uncle Russ is from a generation where he was not allowed to speak the language, and um, the generation before him was not allowed to speak the language. So, there's little parts of language that um that he thought he had, but through being part of part of my language classes to community and to and in the school situation, he's he's realised that he actually knows more language than what he, he thought he did, and he remembers certain. If I say a word, he remembers it. He'll he'll, he'll recall a certain elder saying, "I remember this elder saying that word, and it, I remember it pronounced like this." So I'm actually, even though I've been taught language, um, I'm learning things from Uncle Russ, who um, thought that. Who is who finally? Who has just realised that he's actually more competent at language than what he thought he was? So our elders still have a lot of language. It's just that they, um, they some, some, some even the elders that don't think that they have any language when they hear words, it comes back and there's there's a lot of knowledge in there regarding language that some of our elders that haven't even spoken language will be able to comment on. You do see with some some younger people when they're learning learning language, you do see some. St- racial stereotypes that are in there that have been inherited from before them um and through learning about it, you see those racial stereotypes just diminish rapidly um it 's actually easier teaching children than it is adults because especially when our first spoken language is english we um we rely so much on English where children haven 't been speaking it as as long so they've um they don 't have as many habits i guess that are um <laughs> That are ingrained into the way they speak where as adults we do so the children learn it so quickly and they just want more they 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 engage with it they they love it and you can see them connecting with country you see them it's like when i said earlier that i felt like i found a key that unlocked a part of me that i didn't know was there you see that you see the non-aboriginal students as well have a different appreciation for aboriginal people every student whether um, aboriginal or not aboriginal you see them feel more connected with country straight away you, see, you watch the young, young Aboriginal students learn it and they've got this pride in their identity. But it's, it's so amazing to see an Aboriginal student that may previously have been shy and not engaged or they may not be engaged in other subjects or other areas in in their life. And through learning language, they have this new sense of confidence where they, they come out and their self-esteem level improves. Their... Um, the whole purpose in engaging in in anything seems to be improved through doing it. When teaching adults, it can be a little bit tricky, and that's because we've already got our preconceived um, ideas of how language should be constructed. So an Aboriginal language and English, they're so different. It's very, very common that it's you you can't find a word to describe an English word. So some, when someone says, can you translate, or oh, what's the word for this? And they'll say something in English. There might not be a Gatang word for it. And we've, we've also got to realise, um, what we've got to remember is that Gatang is a, is an ancient language. Um, we live in a modern society where a lot of the things that are around in today's society didn't exist when we had Gatang. So we can, um, we can describe things in Gatang, but to try and translate it, um, explicitly becomes very challenging. What I can say is, is the, the outcome that we've seen in, in Virupai country here. Is that it's um made a massive difference for children and adults. We have a lot of language holders, but there are a few people that um, are willing to jump up and teach it to a lot of people because um, it's quite intimidating jumping up in front of thirty people speaking, um, and some people, a lot of people just don't don't want to do that. So it's um I I think in the future it'd be good to have more language holders that are willing to jump up and teach it. So um, I think that will be nice. Um, i would like to see um a higher engagement of of elders um that are um, involved in that process as well um there are a lot of elders that are involved in in language but um uh, the sensitivities involved there as well but um the lang- the elders they have a lot of knowledge with language um which is um yeah we need to need to acknowledge that um, I think we're going to have a lot of very fluent language holders in the future, which will be nice because there's very few fluent language holders at the moment. Um, I think what we're going to see is, but we're going to see in between different communities. So in, in Gatang countries, there's three different communities that speak it. I think we're going to see, and it's already starting to happen. We're starting to see the communities go off in slightly different directions. Um, which I think is nice. Um, we're, in in Australia regarding aboriginal languages we've got a minimum of 250 languages and over 800 dialects of aboriginal languages so the diversity in aboriginal languages is amazing and we're going to see diversity within within gatang communities and that's going to be that'll be uh, more noticeable I think in the future um, but I think the, the future will be um, it's going to be very inspiring to see what, what happens in the next 10 to 15 years in regard to Aboriginal language in Gatan comu- communities anyway
4: Conversations on Country is proudly brought to you by SBS and Saltwater Freshwater Arts Alliance It was recorded on Goombanga, Dungadi, Biripai and waramai land Our storyteller for this episode was Ben Stewart, a proud Biripi man. Theme music was recorded by Grow the Music with Carrie Munro-Greentree on guitar and Ben Ferguson on didgeridoo. Special thanks also to Matty Whitford. Production of this podcast series was by Simon Portis and Liz Keane from Headline Productions with additional production by Matty Whitford. A big thank you also to Murabai Aboriginal Language and Culture Cooperative for their guidance. I'm Artie B. Ballengarry, Darandang.
1: We must now step aside for a break, and when we come back, we'll discover a new podcast series that seeks to demystify legal matters, more specifically, concepts of negotiations.
4: NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook.
1: Welcome back. Coming up next, conversation with a legal expert who is seeking to demystify legal matters in a new podcast series, Rolling Through Negotiations. But first, another track, Pretty Boy by Ziggy Ramo.
5: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
1: I'm joined by Matthew Karakulakis, founder and CEO of AMK Law, a 100% Indigenous-owned law firm. Just on the heels of winning an Australasian industry accolade, Matthew has just embarked on a new venture with the launch of a new podcast, Rolling Through Negotiations. Matthew, first of all, congratulations on uh, your new initiative and welcome to NITV Radio.
0: Thank you, Bertrand. Thank you for the kind introduction and yeah, I was also saying before we jumped on to this recording, I was saying that I always appreciate your support. So thank you for that as well, Bertrand.
1: You know, great work. I remember we did a few episodes of uh, Tell Me Law and uh, you really enlightened our listeners. They really enjoyed uh, your presentations and uh, how you made law sound like a um, child play. Well, it's a very, very complicated matter. And now you're launching a podcast to actually make it accessible to even more people. Tell us about uh, this uh, new podcast, Rolling Through Negotiations. How did the idea come about?
0: Absolutely, Bertrand, and as is always the case, I'd just like to always uh, give an acknowledgement to traditional owners of the land that we're on today. I'm here on Ghana country, and since this is going to go online and and people can be listening throughout Australia, I want to also pay respects to all First Nations peoples listening in and our Elders past, present and future. I think that's a good segue as well, Bertram, because I think that whatever we do as First Nations peoples, as uh, really all cultures, I believe that we we get our strength from those that have gone before us. And when it's launching a new venture, just like the Rolling Through Negotiations podcast, we again stand on the uh, shoulders of our own ancestors and elders as giants who give us the wisdom and, and information that we need. The podcast itself, Rolling Through Negotiations, it came. Uh, from two big interests that I've got. I really love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I also love law. It's occurred to me that in all the legal work that I do, it really does come down to negotiations, whether it is in a complex legal dispute, whether it's in a transaction-type arrangement or writing contracts. There's always a negotiation piece. And so through the time that I've spent as a lawyer and also through the lessons that I've learned along my journey in practising Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it clicked to me that there's so many great strategies that I use from BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so many strategies that I use from law that I want to be able to share with listeners and do it in a way that's really conversational and also in a connected way where people listening in and, and becoming part of a rolling through negotiations network, they're also learning from amazing guests that we have on the program. And so the, the whole idea is to be able to have fun, but rolling through negotiations is also a platform to be able to share tips and to have a program that's not just the normal sort of business advice stuff, but it's a mixed way of learning some pretty cool Brazilian jiu-jitsu type lessons and strategies to, to make negotiating easier and more effective for people. That's that's how it all started.
1: Who is your target audience? I heard one of your episodes. And I really enjoyed it. It's uh, in a very accessible language, so accessible in layman's language. It's not legalese. Uh, who are you targeting?
0: Yeah, awesome. And thanks for that feedback, Bertrand. I think that legalese can be avoided and should be avoided because if people understand concepts well, they should be able to explain them well. And so... And that's one of the ways in which we communicate through rolling through negotiations in a way that is easy to understand and it's fun as well. And our our target audience, it's really targeted for people who want to get better at negotiating. That can include people from across procurement teams, can include Aboriginal businesses, Aboriginal community, people that want to get better. For example, they might be on a board or CEO or they might even just want to be able to negotiate better in their employment strategies. It can be freelancers, consultants. There's a whole range of, of people that could be interested that are looking to sharpen the negotiation skills. I am proud of my cultural heritage and we will have you know, Aboriginal leaders and Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people and people from all different walks of life and cultural backgrounds because it's a real diverse um, type, type program. And I think that negotiating something that we all do, no matter what, what whether we are a stay-at-home mom, whether we're a corporate CEO, there's negotiating all the way through our lives. So the podcast is really for individuals that are interested in personal development and also who have got an interest in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and sporting-type concepts to then be able to apply negotiating skills and tactics to become much better in in areas of life. So that's that's really what it's about in terms of who we're targeting, who we're trying to add value through, um, you know, within the podcast of
1: Rolling Through Negotiations. There's way, way, way so many topics to cover. Uh, how often and how can people find this podcast and tune in?
0: Bertrand, the podcast come out every Thursday. So if you check out on Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts, listeners can get access to new episodes on a weekly basis so every thursday new episode comes out but be careful bertram because if you listen to an episode you might get hooked
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, no. I listened to one of the episodes. I really, really enjoyed the one uh, you had with uh, the first operational man, um, you know, who was appointed to a diplomatic post. And uh, really both of you made negotiations sound like a a joke, whereas it's a very serious matter. You spoke about very serious topics and yet really in a very conversational, very easy and accessible language and also you really dissected the different concepts and techniques in really layman's uh, language.
0: Who I really next? appreciate that. Yeah, I answer. really appreciate that feedback Bertrand because negotiations negotiating is something that I believe that we learn at a very young age. You think about it as a baby for babies hungry and they want the milk they're going to negotiate through crying in whatever way they can to get their outcome and i believe that as people we always and are consistently negotiating but i also believe that it means there's a level of responsibility so that as people we're always putting that human side first and connecting with people and looking for ways in which we can achieve really good outcomes um, you know for community overall and i think negotiating is a really powerful skill to be able to achieve outcomes that benefit a whole heap of people.
1: And um, can you give us a sneak peek of uh, some other guests uh, you'll be having uh, just to entice us to even tune in even more and learn more about uh, this podcast?
0: Yes. Some of the guests that we've got coming on with this Thursday, we've got a pretty amazing episode being released with uh, a gun barrister called Andrew Burnett. He's someone that we've worked alongside, and also we met initially on the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training mats. And so this upcoming episode on rolling through negotiations is where Andrew's going to be speaking about firsthand tips, strategies, and the way that he negotiates in terms of the high stakes legal disputes that he's involved in. And he'll be also explaining the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu principles that apply to his own negotiations. And we have a really good, friendly chat that's, again, really easy to understand that's going to be an amazing episode coming out. I've got um, some AFL and and also past AFL football players lined up to be on the program. Somebody that I really want to get on the program are two uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches that have been instrumental to me. One is a multiple world champion who I'm currently training with. His name is Leo Ruda. Another one is Tiago Stefanuti, who's an amazing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner and been a great teacher of mine over the years. So they're just some of the guests that are coming up. But the list of guests getting really exciting and we're getting some really amazing traction and and interest into rolling through negotiations
1: as well. Yeah, it's good you bring in this uh, sporting uh metaphor and also approach uh, tackling these tough issues is uh, a way to see that we can uh, even express uh, this, uh, you know, describe this uh, podcast. It tackles tough questions and easily actually overcomes them. Now, before I let you go, any closing thoughts or maybe something to add to the conversation, Matthew?
0: Yeah, I'd love to give... Uh, a tip from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and how it applies to negotiations that listeners might be interested in, and the tip is to do with pressure, right? So in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's a, it's a sport about grappling. It, it, it's like like almost like wrestling focused. If you haven't heard of it, but it's a really popular sport these days as well. And I personally, I love pressure in Jiu-Jitsu because I feel like if there's pressure, then then the other person. Mentally can start flowing in the direction that you want them to be in. And then you can get good positions in that jiu-jitsu context. And just like that in negotiations, if you can apply the right kind of pressure at the right time, then you can direct the channeling of that negotiation into the direction and outcomes that you want to achieve. So I'd love to leave listeners to, to, to uh, this segment with you, Bertrand, with that. tip about pressure and would love to also encourage everyone to jump on board check out rolling through negotiations podcast because it's a real potent collective resource for anyone that's looking to master the art of negotiation or anyone that just wants to learn how to communicate better with confidence and to be able to work through conflicts and resolve matters more easily
1: And where can one find your podcast? You kind of mentioned Spotify. Is it only on Spotify platform or there are other platforms?
0: So Rolling Through Negotiations
1: is on
0: Spotify and also on Apple Podcasts. If you like an episode of Rolling Through Negotiations, you can then listen in and follow the show. And if you follow Rolling Through Negotiations, and every Thursday you can get a notification each and every time a new episode comes out.
1: Excellent. we put the word out there. Matthew Karakalakis. thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today, and uh, congratulations once again on a very, very powerful podcast.
0: Thank you for your support, brethren.
5: Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio.
1: Welcome back. Now, wireless devices which transmit blood uh, glucose levels to your phone are becoming more widely used by people with type 1 diabetes and they're becoming beginning to be marketed to everyone as a general health tool. Manufacturers of the so-called flash monitoring systems say they help create good eating habits, but doctors say there's more to a healthy life than that. Alan Lee reports.
3: Australia's National Diabetes Services Scheme says continuous glucose monitoring, otherwise known as CGM, or flash glucose monitoring, flash GM, provides more information than blood glucose monitoring with a finger prick check. It can help diabetes patients keep their glucose levels in a healthy range. The Australian government provides access for eligible people, that includes anyone with type 1 diabetes, to subsidise CGM and flash GM products through the NDSS. The device is attached to a user's arm and sends data to an app on a mobile phone. But now some manufacturers are marketing their devices to the general public, saying all users can get real-time information about how their bodies respond to different foods, enabling them to enjoy sustainable weight loss and improve their general well-being. Sarah Tan is the General Manager of the European Division of the Manufacturer of such a device called Lingo.
5: Lingo is designed for an audience who are looking to optimise their health and wellness in the same way that people invest in uh, gyms, personal trainers and uh, nutritionists. The way it works is you have the biosensor on your arm, it transmits your glucose levels in real time to your smartphone and then you get small tips and insights as to how you can make small changes to your everyday and create long lasting habits so that you can feel better, uh, have more energy, improved mood.
3: In Australia, one firm is currently offering a CGM device and support program for $229, saying it can help support weight loss, fasting, energy levels, sleep and health optimization. Health-conscious businesswoman and mother of two, Claire Reach, is already using a sensor in the UK. She says she's been trialling various monitors for the past two years.
5: Knowing that there's type 2 diabetes in my family, knowing that there's dementia in my family, I don't want to have either of those things long term. So it's what can I do now to improve my
2: health now?
3: The growth in popularity of the monitors among people without diabetes has accelerated in recent years. Zoe, a company selling the monitors in the UK, says it had a wait list of 200,000 people who wanted to use the device in 2022, and currently there are more than 100,000 users. In Australia, one company says it already has 4,000 users. However, not everyone is convinced it's a good idea. Some physicians specializing in internal medicine are concerned that people will use the monitors without paying attention to other important markers of well-being. Dr. Shivana Misra is a consultant at Imperial College London.
5: By overly focusing on one aspect of your metabolism, i.e. glucose, an individual might be neglecting all of the other aspects of their metabolism and health, for example, you know, blood pressure or cholesterol levels or or weight, or there are so many other things that, that incorporate, you know, how we feel about our health.
3: For patients with blood sugar disorders, the experts say there are many benefits to the sensors but caution that it's not always as accurate as a finger prick check and it can take some people a while to get used to the technology. It also requires that the sensor is worn permanently and that doesn't suit everybody. For people without a blood sugar disorder, doctors warn the data may be confusing. Dr Izzy Smith, a Sydney-based endocrinologist, posted on Instagram that non-diabetics who purchase CGMs are probably unaware of the normal range for non-diabetic blood glucose levels and don't understand how glucose levels rise and fall as part of the body's natural processes. In her Instagram post, she says...
4: A low GI diet, low in ultra processed foods, is undeniably good for long term health. But do we really need a CGM to know an apple and water is usually healthier than a triple chalk mint and soft drink? Feeding curiosity and learning which foods are low GI would be the main benefit.
3: Alan Lee, SBS News.
5: NITV Radio, on radio, online, and mobile.
1: And that was uh, Don't You Worry by uh, Electric Fields. And uh, this beautiful pr- track uh, brings us to the end of uh, today's program. NITV Radio will be back on uh, Wednesday and uh, Friday later this week uh, with uh, more news and uh, stories uh, from uh, right across uh, the country. I am Bertrand Tugendame thanking you for your company this uh, Monday afternoon. Till next time, bye for now. Yalu. Yeah,